you've been learning about value investing, finance, just regular investment for a while now, but you don't know where to go next. You're getting confused about the vast amount of information on the internet. You don't want to waste your time on crap information. You want good information um, and reliable information. In this series of videos on value investing and finance education, you will find those answers to those questions and much more. My name is Jason Rivera. Welcome to Value Investing and Finance Education. Hey, Jason here. And today's episode of this series evaluating the qualitative and value investing, I'm going to talk about competitive advantages, why they're important, um, why they're amazing, how they can lead you to outsized investment returns and more. Before I do that though, I need to tell you that you can watch the other videos in this series or in the previous videos in this series where we talk about things like how I define quality, how to evaluate management, and more. You'll find links for those should be above or below this video. Okay, today I want to talk about competitive advantages. One of, frankly, my favorite things to talk about and learn about, but it's also one of the rarest things you'll find in a long-term investment. Why? It's competitive advantages, sustained competitive advantages over the long term are hard to get, hard to keep, Technology is making it harder in many industries around the world to get and keep competitive advantages. And specifically when it comes to when I evaluate investments, they're typically smaller. So competitive advantage while rare in while rare in bigger companies are even rarer in smaller companies. I can think of two off the top of my head companies that I found that I've invested in that have definitely had competitive advantages. There's been some that have been kind of maybe, but there were only two out of thousands of companies that I've invested in or that I've researched to some degree that have definitely had competitive advantages that were on the smaller side of things. So they're rare. They, what they do is for those who don't know, I'm sure most of you do know, but just to recap what competitive advantages are also called moats. They allow the company to earn outsized profits. So what that means in kind of a real world sense is if the industry average, let's say is 10% operating profit margins, if a company has competitive advantages in that arena, maybe it'll have 15, 20, 25% operating margin. That's an example of one way to look at a competitive advantages. So let's say a company A has 20, 20, 15, 25, or let's say 20% margins. Actually, double, just for easy sake. And the industry average is 10%. Why, if company A has 20% margins and the industry average is 10%, why might it have competitive advantages? Could be things like um, powerful brand name, trademark, uh, patents that keep competitors away, trademark and brand name that keep customers keep coming back, uh, brand loyalty, valuable and exclusive customer lists, Barriers to entry, those are most of those are examples of barriers to entry. It could have other advantages. It could have better better management. It could have other competitive advantages that allows it to earn outsized returns over time compared to the industry average. So what that means kind of in a real world sense is not only that company A at the 20% operating margin versus the industry average, they're earning double in terms of operating profit that the industry is, that also gives them a kind of virtuous cycle of more and more capital 
to invest in their operations, which should further their competitive advantages if they use their money right. So competitive advantages are incredibly valuable. Not only do you earn outsized profits compared to your competitors and or industry competition, you also earn more cash, which you can then reinvest to earn or to keep or sustain or grow your competitive advantages, which continues to lengthen how far ahead you might be if you invest well or how close competitors catch up if you're not investing well. So incredibly important, incredibly rare. Technology is making them go, making most competitive advantages go away over the long term. So what are some examples of competitive advantages? Typically, I kind of aggregate them more than most people do, to be honest. I have, I think, five categories of what I determine as competitive advantages. Things I just talked about, trademarks, brand names, patents. Those are in one group. Those are the only the only competitive advantage you can see on a balance sheet. Typically, you'll see those in intangible assets. Other than that, you're going to have to kind of parse, learn, and parse through the information to find the back to find the competitive advantages. Another one, network effects. Think Facebook, think LinkedIn, think back in the day, MySpace. These competitive advantages are one of the most valuable if you can get them, but frankly, they're one of the most rare because typically the only time network effects, actually, let me back up. So what network effects are, essentially, you you own a network or a platform or whatever you want to call it and you get past a so-called tipping point and you get enough customers or clients or people doing business with you that it doesn't make sense to do business elsewhere at a similar product. That's very important, at a similar product. So eBay is a perfect example. Once it got past a certain point, a number of customers, it didn't make sense because they had the network, meaning sellers. They had the biggest number of sellers, the most variety of sellers, uh, the most variety of products that it made sense as a buyer not to go anywhere else. You typically got cheaper prices on eBay, you got faster service, better service, um, and then eventually when they bought PayPal, they further expanded their competitive advantage by allowing safe and secure payments. So it doesn't, you probably can't even name the second place person to eBay, I can't. There's no second place to Facebook, Google Plus, has now been shuttered <laughs> after not really doing much for years. This is when you have network effects is pretty much a winner take all proposition. The only time it's really not is when, let's say we go back in the day of MySpace. MySpace used to be the dominant force and then it kind of got complacent, blah, 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 blah. Didn't change, didn't make uh, changes people wanted. And the only time network effects don't continue working is if management starts doing stupid stuff or another company comes and it's 10x better than the previous leaders. That's the only time really network effects, the only two times network effects really kind of go away. So, and it, again, it leads to winner take all domination. Facebook is 80, 90% plus of the that kind of genre of social network. Again, you probably can't name a second place competitor that does the same things. LinkedIn is more has a different niche. Twitter has a different niche. Instagram has a different niche. If you have a different niche, you can take over and get network effects in that niche 
and dominate. But if you're going to do the same thing, it has to be either 10x better or you have to be, or management at the company that's dominating has to do stupid stuff for the network effects to go away. Incredibly powerful. Um, Facebook probably owns 80, 90% of the profits in that niche of social media. Um, and maybe I would probably guess 50% plus of all the profits in social media and networking combined, even then when you're including the different niches. That's how powerful network effects are. The next one is economies of scale. Economies of scale. Think of when you're thinking of economies of scale, think of Walmart or tobacco companies or um, Amazon. Amazon's probably the perfect example right now of economies of scale. Economies of scale is when a company has such huge size, they can make money pretty much no matter what. So going back in the day, uh, Walmart, to a uh, slightly different example, Walmart, it took over and dominated and beat Kmart because Kmart was less efficient. Walmart was more efficient, had better distribution, had better systems. So it was more efficient. So let's say they were right here, equal, or Kmart was actually up here. Walmart was down here. Walmart became more efficient faster and adopted technology faster and systems faster and all that kind of stuff that it switched spots. It could charge lower prices that undercut Kmart's, do a lower or do a much higher volume of products, sell a much higher volume of products at a lower profit, but still earn outsized profits because of what the kind of volume they're doing. This is exactly what Jeff Bezos says when he talks about your margin is my opportunity. He means essentially if you can lower prices enough, you can knock competitors out if they're not efficient or if they're not as efficient as you, even if he's earning 1% margins and they're earning 5% margins, if they have to, if they're losing clients or customers because they're going to the lower cost um, operator, they usually will. Typically people want to get, if they can get the same product or similar products at the same price or at um, the same values, they want the cheaper product and or the faster product, which is another competitive advantage that you get with economy of scale on Amazon. Uh, they can get you products to your house probably within a year or two, within 30 minutes via drone. Right now it's within one day where I live. I don't know where it is in other parts of the US or the world, but it's within one day if you have Amazon Prime and it's Amazon Prime product. This usually comes from scale, which economies of scales mean size, um, and distribution networks. So if you are, typically this comes from retail, cigarette companies have economies of scale, most of them because of their size and because of their vast network of distribution all over the world. Um, so if you think of economies of scale, think of, think of massive size, typically economies of scale, massive size. If you think of that, you'll do great. Um, next one government and regulatory competitive advantage. So this kind of doesn't make sense when you first think about it. Governments around the world are built to stop monopolies and competitive advantages and to have a kind of even and fair playing field. That's not how it works. So in the real world, because government, uh, government regulatory competitive advantages, companies like tobacco companies have these, uh, casinos, those are mostly government contractors. These kinds of companies have 
the government regulatory competitive advantages. So what does that mean in a real world sense? If a company is in a highly regulated industry, again, tobacco, uh, marijuana, but that's not built out yet, um, but it will have most likely a government regulatory competitive advantage once the kind of wild west stuff goes out of that. Um, defense contractors, casinos, you're in a highly regulated industry. You have government regulatory competitive advantages to some degree. Why? Because typically there is a ton of regulation, ton of paperwork, ton of bureaucracy, and a ton of taxes in this industry. So if you are, let's say Altria, who owns Marlboro, um, Altria Philomorphs, they're still kind of, they're separate, but they're kind of the same thing. They have such huge scale and size and cash flows and profits and revenues and brand names and trademarks that you haven't really seen in the last 30 years or so a major player come in and uh, try to take on Philip Morris and Altria, uh, British American Tobacco, was it Reynolds, I think, is another one. There's three or four big players worldwide that dominate this industry because they have the scale, they have the money to spend on lobbying and bureaucracy and taxes. Small companies don't have that. <laughs> so it these industries don't change very fast and it leads to probably two to five players in an industry that are dominant and earn outsized profits, uh, earn outsized cash flows, revenues, and dominate the markets. So those are four. So we've talked about brand names, patents, trademarks, that's one. Economies of scale or network effects, economies of scale, and government regulatory. So I'm going to go to my list because I always forget one. Oh, no, I didn't miss one. I'm so used to missing one that I thought I missed one. I did not. I did forget to explain one thing about um, economies of scale, though. When you have economies of scale, you, it's, you also have another advantage combined with that, which is usually called um, low-cost operator advantage, which, again, Walmart example, you can charge lower prices, get more people, um, do a low, higher volume at lower prices to still earn profits and cash flow. If you can do that, Walmart, Amazon are the two biggest names that have that use this model. Ton of volume, low profit. Ton of volume, low profit. Um, something else you probably noticed is I talked about some of these companies is. If you have one of these competitive advantages, you probably have at least two competitive of these competitive advantages. You have, you most likely will have multiple because it, let's say network effects. Network effects is one of the most powerful by itself, but you also have enormous distribution and size and scale usually. So you also typically have economies of scale. If you're in the government regulatory arena, uh, again, let's go to the t tobacco companies. You have economies of scale. You to a degree have network effects, although it's more distribution, I'd say that's probably um, economies of scale. You definitely have the brand names, trademarks, that one. What's another one? Another example off the top of my head, Coke, Coca-Cola. Economies of scale, via their distribution, size, all that. Government regulatory, probably not, even though um, that kind of stuff is being more regulated, they might in the future have that. 
um, due to sugary products, taxes on sugary products and stuff like that. Brand names, trademarks, they definitely have that. Network effects, probably not. So they have two out of four. If you find a company that has one competitive advantage, one of these four, it'll likely have another one. If you have a company, if you find a company that has long-term sustained competitive advantages and it's a small company, buy it. <laughs> Typically buy it if it's fairly valued or uh, and there's a margin of safety and all that. I've bought the two companies that I found that have competitive advantages um, that were small companies. One is up, I still own. It's in the defense contractor arena, um, not a US company or not a US based company at least. Um, and it's, I think up two or three X since I bought it a couple years ago. And the other one was up, it got bought out for, I think two or three X. So if you can find a small company that is fairly or undervalued that has competitive advantages, you need to buy it. Here are some other things to think about with competitive advantages. So how do you find competitive advantages in the balance sheet or in the financial statements? Cause you're going to have to kind of parse through the information. I told you at the beginning that the only competitive advantages that you'll find on a balance sheet or any financial statement is the brand names, trademarks, patents. Those are usually listed under intangible assets. So what are some other things to look for when it comes to competitive advantages? You'll see terms like economies of scale. I don't think I've ever seen network effects uh, mentioned in a financial report, but I don't read too many tech financials, to be honest. And most of the time you'll find network, network effects is in the tech arena. You look for things like high taxes in in um, regulated industries. Um, you look for things like I talked about earlier, where a company if it has an operating profit of ten uh, percent or an operating margin of ten percent, or the industry average is is ten percent, and the company has sustained operating profit margins of twenty percent or more. That's a good sign the company might have competitive advantages. Compare that with things like ROIC and free cash flow to sales. If the industry averages for those for the company are still above average for the industry norm, that's a good sign the company might have competitive advantages. Obviously, looking at patents, brand names, trademarks. Most, in my opinion, most companies don't have valuable brand names and trademarks unless they're huge. Um, Coca-Cola, Amazon, Google, Nike, uh, Louis Vuitton stuff you've all heard of um apple other than that i to, for me that is the weakest that is the weakest set of competitive advantage of the brand name trademark patents because brand name trademarks move around and due to customer wants and trends um, and patents expire so unless you're constantly bringing up new patents that is the weakest in my opinion uh, competitive advantage. The most valuable is network effects. Um, and again, you can combine these as well to become even more powerful. So um, I think that's everything. That's literally, that's, I mean, I, I could get nuanced and I could talk about competitive advantage for days, but that is at the basic level, kind of how I look, think about and look for competitive advantages. So I hope this helps. Um, if I miss anything about any of this, let me know in the comments below. If, uh, if you have any other thoughts, anything you'd like to add, let me know in the comments below. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like, love, share, subscribe, and hit the notification bell so you're notified anytime we release a new video. I'm releasing two to four video, new videos every week on the blog. Um, until next time, have a great day. Talk soon. Bye.